Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. It's Monday. I've had a long weekend and I'm ready to find out what happened during it. Good morning. Hello, darkness. That's not my name. No, I was beginning a song. Ah. From uh, Simon Garfield. Unplugged iPhones. Alright. Nice poison there. You hear me? I hear you. Okay, I barely hear you though. Uh, you hear all that fan? Nope. You don't hear the fan noise? Nope. Okay, that's all I hear. Let's see. Alright. Uh, Alright, folks. How's your weekend? Uh, we finished filming the music video. Wow. Yeah. Was that, yeah. Was I, I didn't know the lights. It was it was lots of lights. Yeah. I programmed right. some theater lights. Do stuff. Yeah. I don't know what it looks like because I haven't okay. seen it. So. Okay. Well. I'll let you know in like I don't know, two weeks. That's supposedly when the music video should be done being edited. And, uh, All right. That's sweet. It was from eight um, to eight. We got kicked out of the building. So, see how I that? It was from eight to eight, and we got kicked out of the building because we were filming in a school, and this all schools oh. are closing for summer vacation. And there was literally oh. a guy on the intercom going, "If there's anybody left in the building." The alarms would go off and the police would come get you. He was obviously joking, but it was just funny because he was like, like a school announcement, right? It was really funny. Hello, this is your announcement that there's 30 minutes until school is over. It was like that. <laughs> That's crazy. Hold on a second. Let me just get my headlines. Sometimes the headlines are hidden somewhere. So anytime you're ready, I guess. You already have your articles, nice. Yeah. Okay. Today on Before Coffee, East German dissident singer Wolf Biermann celebrated in Berlin exhibition. Reds has over 100 million uh, users in less than 48 hours as it tries to knock off Twitter. Grieb shipwreck. High-tech investigation suggests Coast Guard responsible for the sinking. Brazil's Amazon deforestation drops sharply in the first half of 2023. And in big Dutch news, Ruta, the Prime Minister, stops as party leader for a Veve day and announces departure from politics. And Biden says Russia's war in Ukraine must end before Kiev can join NATO. Today, on July 10th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee.
Okay, let's go into our first new story here. This is from Kate Connolly in Berlin. The life of the East German's most prominent dissident singer-songwriter Wolf Biermann has been celebrated for the first time in a major exhibition that examines his pivotal role in the country's divided post-war history. Biermann's banishment from the GDR in 1976 by communist authorities, who were unable to tolerate his outspoken criticism, not only fueled his own popularity, but helped spread his lyrical, incisive, incisive and so ballads and songs and poems to a far wider audience. It also spawned a mass protest movement, leading to the exodus of some of Germany's Democratic Republic's most popular artists and actors and the imprisonment of scores of freedom of speech campaigners. The German Historical Museum, DHM, exhibition in Berlin, which opened last week, examines his life and times, starting with the unusual decision of the 16-year-old Biermann, the son of a Jewish communist and Nazi resistance fighter, who was murdered in Auschwitz in, at age 38, to move from Hamburg into the West to the Communist East in 1953. At the time, tens of thousands of people were traveling in the opposite direction. The exhibition looks at the later events, including 1965 ban on Biermann performing and his expulsion from the GDR 11 years later, which occurred while he was on a trip to West Germany. It examines the widespread belief that Biermann's expulsion was a turning point in the post-war German history, a self-destructive act from which GDR regime never recovered. Artifacts include Biermann's guitar, the, the Nazi army mess box used to hide his diaries from the GDR secret police, the Stasi, and the irreverent handwritten notes pinned to his front door addressed to the state security officers who spied on him, reading, Good day, you Stasi pigs! Sami's dot or self-published versions of the works copied by hand or produced on private printing presses to avoid the censor apparatus are also displayed as, there, as well as three and a half hour extracts from the Cologne concert that led to him being stripped of his citizenship. At a packed opening party, guests included the former German Chancellor Angela Merkel and the East German dissidents, many of whom had served in prison as punishment for campaigning for Biermann's repatriation. The 86-year-old singer performed several songs in his trademark gravely voice, including Ermutschung Encouragement, which became an unofficial anthem for East Germany's political prisoners, as well as Was du Ernicht, Warst du Nicht, What You Remember Was Not You, a biting attack on the Hitler-Stalin monster, Vladimir Putin, who has a deadly fear of freedom. In it, he refers to his guitar as a wooden sword with six strings as his own weapon in his attempt to slay dragons. Raphael Gross, the head of DHM, called Biermann's life a stroke of luck for writers of German history. Uh, we actually go into the history of his life, which is very long. So, basically, Biermann was perceived as too famous to be thrown into jail, and was helped also by a high regard in which his father, Dagobert's Jewish heritage and Roland's anti-Nazi resistance was held. He lost about 30 relatives to the Holocaust. Biermann spoke plainly with poetry above all humor. He was able to artistically transform the mood of unease that existed at the time into a accessible way of thinking, into a truth with which you could easily sympathize. His words and music went straight to the gut, and we learned the song off by heart. Says, who said, who's quote, who are we quoting here? 
It says she says, but I'm like, who is she? Who are we yeah. talking to? <laughs> um, uh, I guess the the person who wrote the biography about his life, Gabrielle Stolzer. Okay. That's what she says. He was like a peat piper of homelin. Later, when I was in jail, sitting in the hosiery sewing machine, I often took strength from saying, Hey, you, don't get embittered, she said, quoting a line from Ermut Tigung. Having once believed in the socialist GDR dream, she said, as soon as they put me in prison, I knew it was doomed to fail. So this is somebody who survived, I guess, Stotzer, who survived being incarcerated for her being, liking freedom, I guess. It was East of Germany. What do you want me to say? Okay, but that's speaking. a really interesting person I've never heard of, and it's nice to learn about people, you know, who are fighting the good fight in their their own country, so. Speaking truth to power, as they say. You're free to truth do your to story. Truth to power, I'll get you locked up. Okay. This is uh, from Forbes.com. Uh, article written by, I guess, just Forbes.com. It's uh, Gen Z's takeover of Twitter's creators react to threats. I'm sorry, let's try it's over. It said it's like Gen Z's takeover of Twitter. Creators react to threads. Meta, Meta's new social app. Mouth not working today. Let's and Meta this. is yeah. basically what Facebook originally was. They just made a yeah, it's, umbrella yeah. company called Meta. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Mark Zuckerberg is... <laughs> Not the most popular guy in the world, but people <laughs> really don't like Elon Musk. Okay, so. As users flock to microblogging app in the millions, creators are excited about testing it out. But they are wary that the newest Twitter competitor won't stick around. Within two days of its launch, Meta's new Twitter rival threads became one of the most rapidly downloaded apps ever. Amassing more than 70 million users, I heard 100 million, well, maybe that was in three days. Content creators with massive followings are joining the text-based apps in droves, largely because they can choose to retain all of their Instagram followers, if they already have it on the platform, and their blue verification ticks rather than having to start from scratch. Haley Khalil, a content creator with 1.7 million followers on Instagram and 2.7 million subscribers on YouTube, was one of the first to join the platform. Still in its beta version, along with the celebrities like Shakira and a few Meta employees. For the, for her, the lure of porting, of porting over all of her followers in a few steps was too compelling to resist, even though she's wary of needing to post yet another app. Another, on another app. Obviously, the con as a content creator, this is another time, another time suck for me. I haven't really gotten much sleep for the last day and a half because I've been messing around on threads, Khalil told Forbes. It's even attracting creators who primarily post images or videos, not text. Khalil, who creates fashion, lifestyle, comedy videos, said she never used Twitter because her mostly Gen Z audience didn't use the app. I think threads is like Gen Z's takeover of Twitter. It's really fun to watch. Creators are still waiting to see whether threads will face a fate similar to other ephemeral apps like voice-based social network Clubhouse and TikTok's 
sister app, Lemon8, which creators started posting new and repurposed content only to later realize that platforms weren't mature enough and had lost steam. They are also concerned about the additional effort of producing content and engaging followers through the medium. Anyone else half very excited, half exhausted by the thought of managing yet another social media platform? Katarina Mello, a travel content creator with 547 followers on Instagram posted on threads. There's a lot of time spent on researching, understanding what conversations are going on. And just like being part of those conversations, that's not necessarily creating the content or actually writing up your post. Mello told Forbes, the content creator, this is just another time suck for me. There's that word time suck again. The, the 32 year old influencer says threads, which currently doesn't run ads or have any way for creators to monetize, runs the risk of directing users' attention away from Instagram and cannibalizing the primary revenue generating platform. I've noticed a drop in my engagement numbers on Instagram because a lot of people are using threads. Creators who don't plan on making the move to threads could also be impacted. As people have finite amount of time to spare on social media and more time on threads could be less time on Instagram. Past day and a half, it's been totally crickets on Instagram and I've been hearing from other creators as well and they're wondering if it's even worth posting here now. Hmm. Touted as a Twitter killer, threads user interface is strikingly similar. Apart from missing features like trending topics tab, they feature to direct message users to hashtags. It's one of the series of social media networks have positioned themselves as a better alternative to Twitter, including Bluesky and Mastodon. While these ads have been growing, they're still struggling to catch on. Bluesky has just reached its first million installs since launching in February, and active users on decentralized network Mastodon have fallen by more than a million to about a million by more than a million to about a million active users. And this is going on and on and on and on and on and on. Long article by Forbes, they want to give you a lot of information. So long story short, which we have to do sometimes, Threads is out there. It's being fed by a Instagram more than Facebook because it's an instant conversion. And there you are, your story. Also, additional information, that current thing is not available in Europe because oh. the European Union has the DMA, the Digital Markets Act, which uh -huh. protects Europeans from, you know, unregulated social media and seeing as threads is very, very new, it hasn't met the standards to be launched in Europe. So they're currently so. in the, you know, in the engine there going oh what can we do to make this uh, applicable to european citizens so i can't uh, use threads right now uh, but anyone in the u.s can because what's regulation just run whatever you want in america and people will believe all your lies because they think everything on the internet is true anyways that's the reason the kind of the dma was passed they were worried social media was making everyone confused and lies were just being spread and people just believe them because everything's Google, you know? Oh, I looked up something on Google and it said, this guy said this, and I believe it. <laughs> but my AI program says it's false. Uh-oh. Okay, yeah. in our next article, we are talking about the Greek shipwreck that happened, 
I think probably a month ago at this point, and how nobody's really know what caused it and who to blame. Some people wanted to blame the captains because they were taken into custody and arrested. But now we've actually found out what actually caused the ship to sink. This is an article from Katie Fallon, Dejorius Christidis, Julian Bush, and Lydia Emanuela Lidio, which is why it's a huge investigation because there's a lot of people and also it's sponsored by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So this is a huge article here on The Guardian. Attempts by the Greek Coast Guard to tow a fishing trawler carrying hundreds of migrants may have caused the vessel to sink. According to a new investigation by The Guardian and a media partner that has raised further questions about the incident, which left an estimated 500 people missing. The trawler carrying migrants from Libya to Italy sank off the coast of the Greeks of Greece on the 14th of June. There were 104 survivors, so not even half of the people on that boat survived. Reporters and researchers conducted more than 20 interviews with survivors and drew on court documents and Coast Guard sources to build a picture of missed rescue opportunities and offers of assistance that were ignored. Multiple survivors said that attempts by the Greek Coast Guard to tow the vessel had ultimately caused the sinking. The Coast Guard had strenuously denied that it attempted to tow the trawler. Okay, so if you, <laughs> if you say this thing caused it and then the other person says that didn't even happen. Yeah, okay. Everyone just imagined the rope being attached to the boat. That the night that the trawler capsized, 47 nautical miles off of Pylos in the southwestern Greece, was reconstructed using an interactive 3D model of the boat created by Forensis, a Berlin-based research agency founded by Forensic Architecture, which investigates human rights violations. The joint investigation by The Guardian, German public broadcaster ARD, D, NDR, and Funk, and Greek investigative outlet Solomon, in collaboration with Foreignist, has given one of the fullest accounts to date of the trawler's course up to its sinking. It unearthed new evidence such as Coast Guard vessel moored at a closer port but never dispatched to the incident, and how Greek authorities failed to respond not twice, as previously reported, but three times to offer assistance by Frontex, the EU border, and Coast Guard agency. This sounds very familiar to... Uh, another tragedy on the sea in Korea where there was a, I think a, what is it called? A ferry? A ferry was sinking? It was a very famous Korean ferry incident. Tragic. But the US and the Japanese and the Chinese all have navies. navies. They all offered assistance to help with the ferry to get people off the boat, you know, so nobody would die. And Korea was like, nah, we're good. We don't need any of your help. And then everyone died. So this is, sounds very familiar to that story. Um, where was I? Ah, Verinus mapped the final hours before the sinking using data from the Coast Guard's log and the testimony of the Coast Guard's vessel's captain, as well as flight paths, maritime traffic data, satellite imagery, and information from videos taken by nearby commercial vessels and other sources. The ship's last movements contradict the Coast Guard and reveal inconsistencies within the official account of events, including the trawler's direction and speed. 
Crucially, the investigation showed that overcrowded trawlers started moving westward on meaning the single Greek Coast Guard vessel sent to the scene. According to multiple survivor testimonies given to the Guardian and Greek prosecutors, the Coast Guard had told the migrants it would lead them to Italy, clashing with the official version that the trawler started moving west of its own accord. The investigation also showed the trawler had turned to the south and was almost stationary for at least an hour until survivors said a second and fatal towing attempt took place. Two survivors used the 3D model to describe the towing itself, while three others who were sitting inside or on the vessel's lower deck described being propelled forward like a rocket, but with the engine not operating. That suggests a towing attempt. Another survivor separately said he heard people shouting about a rope being attached by the Greek army and described being towed for 10 minutes shortly before the trawler sank. I feel that they have tried to push us out of Greek water so that their responsibility ends, survivor said, after considering the map of events and reflecting on his own memories of the night. The exact circumstance of the sinking cannot be conclusively proved in the absence of visual evidence. Several survivors testified to having had their phones confiscated by authorities and some mentioned having filmed videos moments before the sinking. Question, I mean, great cover-up, guys. Sure. Questions remain over why the newly acquired Greek Coast Guard vessel at the scene did not record the operation on its thermal cameras. Hmm, your cameras were turned off. It's really not, <laughs> this is not looking good. The vessel's called the 19, the vessel called the 1920 was 90% financed by the EU to bolster the capabilities of Frontex in Greece. And it's part of the EU border agency's joint operation in the country. Frontex recommends that, if feasible, all actions taken by Frontex co-financed assets should be documented by video consistently. So they broke their own regulations. In official statements, the Greek Coast Guard said the operation was not recorded because the crew's focus was on the rescue operation. But as a source within the Coast Guard said cameras do not need constant manual operation, and they are precisely to capture such incidents. Like you need a you need a film whenever the dinosaur arrives. Oh, sorry, we we're so distracted by the dinosaur coming, we didn't record it. That's literally why the cameras are there to record the dinosaur, and you forgot to turn. Okay, the presence of a masked man, described by two survivors as attached to a rope to the trawler, is also documented by the ship's log, which includes an entry about a special ops team known as KEA joining the 1920 that night. According to the Coast Guard sources, it would be unusual to deploy KEA, the typically used in risky situations such as suspected arms or drug smuggling at sea. Given the vessel's unknown status, but one source said that their presence suggested the vessel should have been intercepted on security and maritime safety grounds alone. One source described the failure to mobilize help to help the closer to the incident as incomprehensible. The 1920 was deployed from Chiana in Crete about 150 nautical miles from the site of the sinking. The source said the Coast Guard had somewhat smaller, but still capable vessels, based in Patras, Kalamata, Neapoli Voyone, and even Pylos itself. The 1920 was ordered by Coast Guard HQ to locate the trawler about 3 p.m. local time on the 13th of June. It finally made contact close to midnight. An eyewitness official confirmed another vessel was stationed in Kalamata on the 14th of June and could have reached the trawler with a couple of hours. It should have been send everything you've got situation. The trawler was in clear need of assistance, a source said. So the, the Coast Guard source is just like, yeah, this does not follow what we expect to happen when somebody's ship is sinking. This article goes for a long time about all the other things that were just like, mostly people 
being very disappointed in what happened and how if, you know, there were too many people on the boat and it sank, why didn't anybody say, shit, we need to get more boats out here because this ship's gonna sink. Um, they're asking, Brussels is asking for a transparent investigation into the wreck and Frontex is very angry because they're gonna get the brunt of this because it was their ship. The Coast Guard may have been using it, but it was their ship that was being used. And the whole idea of Frontex is to help people cross, not help yeah, them drown in the ocean. Yeah, what the fuck, uh, Editorial-wise, I do want to say it is very odd that Greek people even, you know, they should have just left the ship alone unless they asked for help because they're going to Italy. Just let them go to Italy. Why are you intercepting a ship that's not even going to your country, right? They're going from one from Africa to Italy. That's where they're going. Libya to Italy. There's no Greek in there. Who cares? If they need help, help them. Don't try to sink the boat because you don't want responsibility for them, according to one eyewitness anyways. That's their opinion, that that's why they sink the boat. So, half of the estimated seven people on board are thought to have been Pakistani citizens, taking an emerging people smuggling route to Italy. Pakistani authorities estimate that 150 came from Garanjwala in the east of the country, a region known for its rice plantations and cotton fields, but deeply mired in Pakistan's economic crisis. Ahmed Farouk, who lives on the outskirts of the city of Gujarwala, said, lost his son in the pile of shipwreck. Talking of the alleged towing, he said, they, want us to, they wanted us to sink. Why didn't they save the people first? If they don't want illegal immigrant, immigrant, migrants, let them deport us, but don't let us drown. So there we go. That's my article. And don't let anybody say we're not talking about it, because we're talking about it. Oh, hell yeah. Hashtag clusterfuck. We get, uh, we get a lot of uh, worldwide attention for those, what, four people that died in the Titanic, though, right? Yeah. Everybody's like, ah, what happened? They did something foolish. That's what happened. But this has got no attention worldwide, right? Just like, what the hell's going on out there? Are we just so worried that immigrants are going to do something that we just go ahead? Hey, don't let them land anywhere, anywhere in land. Just make sure they stay at sea forever. <sighs> People, where to God? Where's the humanity? People. Yeah, we think our shit is made of gold. We do. What do you mean? I'm perfect. I'm from this so-and-so society. Anyway, and uh, some encouraging news. Brazil's Amazon deforestation dropped sharply. This is from aljazeera.com. Brazil's president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, despite having five names, has promised to end destruction of the Amazon rainforest by 2030. Deforestation in Brazil's Amazon rainforest fell 34% in the first half of 2023. Preliminary government data shows hitting its lowest level in four years as President De Silva institutes tougher environmental policies. Data produced on Thursday by Brazil's National Space Research Agency, INPENP, indicated that 2,649 square miles, or, or square kilometers, sorry, or 1,000 square miles, of rainforests were cleared in the region for the first half of this year, the lowest level of clearing since 2019. Still not good enough. Stop clearing it. 
It's very positive, but we continue to have very high levels of deforestation, said Daniel Silva, an analyst for the nonprofit WWF Brazil. Lula, took 77, took office in January, promising to end deforestation by 2030 after surging destruction under his predecessor, Jair Bolsonaro, who had slashed environmental protection error efforts. By the way, that guy's been banned from office for eight years. During Bolsonaro's 2009 to 2000. 22 term in office deforestation of the Amazon shot up 75% compared with the average over the previous decade. The former far-right leader had called for more farming and mine, mining on protected land, saying it would lift the region out of poverty. Oh, we'll have no poverty. Won't have any trees either, but we won't have poverty. Environment Minister Marina Silva was in a press briefing on Thursday that said in a press briefing on Thursday that a fall in deforestation was a direct result of the government quickly wrapping up resources for environmental enforcement. We are making every effort to ensure that our anti-deforestation plan is already in full swing as a result of our emergency efforts. In June alone, satellite data from Brazil's National Space Agency NPE showed deforestation total 663 square kilometers, down 41% compared with the same month a year ago. Whether the annual deforestation will show an overall decline remains to be seen. It's an annual peak in deforestation and fires runs from July to September. July tends to have an explosion in deforestation, said Juan Pulo, Tapa Bianco, Silva's deputy in environmental ministry, at the environment ministry last month. Brazil's government unveiled its plans to meet Lula's pledge to eliminate deforestation in the Amazon by 2030, using a long list of measures, including strengthened law enforcement against environmental crimes and green economic development. Lula also tried to persuade the world's wealthiest countries to pay for initiatives designed to safeguard the Amazon, Adding to work done by Norway and Germany through the so-called Amazon Fund, environmental protection is a key issue as the South American trade bloc Mercosur negotiates a long-delayed free trade accord with the European Union. The EU has recently made new demands of the four Mercosur, Mercosur countries to fight environmental crimes. The Lula government has promised to tackle deforestation, which reached record highs under Bolsonaro administration. That is the story, as there's a bunch of captions I'm not going to read because the pictures aren't there. Hello. That's it, man. Yeah, I'm still there. Did I put you to sleep? No, no, I, just thought, I thought you were you were looking down like I thought you were going to read some more. Oh, no, I was just looking for it in this article. It was over. It was just more crap. It was genuinely like, and that's it. And that's the way the old cookie crumbles in Brazil. Okay. Where they have an old cookie. Well, while that's happening in Brazil, the Netherlands is changing leadership as Mark Ruta leaves politics. In a statement prior to the debate on the fall of his fourth cabinet, he said that he would not be the leader of the Veve Day again, which I believe is the People's Freedom Democracy. Oh man, I need to, I'll look it up real quick. I need. I need to 
report facts here. Uh, let's get some facts. Revealing facts, hopefully. The, the baby day stands for, in English, stands for People's Party for Freedom and Democracy, which I was basically said right. Volksparte ver Vreiheit and Demo Democracy. It's, mm. yeah. That's what it stands for. I, I knew it was mostly right, but I, did, I wanted to make sure I used the right words. Um, he still wants to stay as an outgoing prime minister until after elections when there is a new cabinet. There has been speculation in recent days about what would motivate me. The only answer is the Netherlands. Ruta said, My position is completely subordinate to that. On Sunday, I decided that I will no, not be available as a leader for the Veve Day in the upcoming elections. Because he's been, I think, the leader for 17 years. Yes, it says that later in a different paragraph. After his statement, Ruta spoke to the press and said he had mixed feelings. This is not entirely without emotion, said the outgoing prime minister, but it also feels good to pass the baton. Ruta has been prime minister of the Netherlands for almost 13 years and political leader of the Veve Day for 17 years. And that's only because of the Veve Day, because we have uh, mixed a lot, of, a lot of parties. So the Veve Day can constantly wins elections and they're just like, ah, just put Ruta back in, you know? It's similar to the, the UK governmental system. Right, where the prime minister is just whoever the party wants to lead them, not whoever the people vote for. The people just vote for the party and their whatever they put in their um, manifesto, and then the party decides who act who's actually going to be the leader. Um, Ruta contradicts stories that he would have been out out for the fall of the cat. Wait, Ruta contradicts stories that he would have been out for the fall of the cabinet because the Veve Day is not doing relatively well in polls. That's not true. Asked what will stick with him most about his prime minister, Ruta said visibly touched the MH17. That was so big, he said, referring to the downing of the flight over Ukraine in 2014. Ruta also said that he does not know what he will do when his time at the out as the outgoing prime minister is over. He does not aspire, aspire to a top job at NATO, for which he is sometimes mentioned, Ruta said. The 56-year-old Ruta has been teaching social studies once a week at school in The Hague for years. Maybe I'll do that for a few days. <laughs> imagine, imagine going to school in The Hague and like, oh man, I got social studies at, at 3 p.m. Uh, you go in there, the Prime Minister just like, alright everyone, take out your textbooks, we will be reading about the history of the Golden Age. <laughs> That's so funny to me. Imagine Obama, right? You're just sitting there, you know, going to your social study class. Oh man, I have U.S. history at, at the fourth quarter, at the fourth period. Let me go. You walk in, Obama's just like, "Hello, students. Welcome to social studies." Yeah, was Obama's that just sitting there with bang erasers. Like, I don't know. <laughs> well, now we have smart boards. We don't use uh, we don't use chalkboards anymore. Is that the story? No. Sorry, oh. I just I was distracted by the oh. just the scenario of like the leader of oh. your country just <laughs> doing social studies. Um, immediately after his statement, the chamber Ruta explained the situation to the press. After Ruta had spoken to the press, he want, went to the Veve Day faction room in the chamber building. There he received with applause by he was received with applause by the MPs from his party. At the start of the debate about the fall of Ruta IV, Ruta also received the praise from political opponents. Pei Vei Vei leader 
Herod Wilder. Why are we even mentioning that guy? Ugh. He's like the... He's like the Dutch... Trump. Uh, on his unbridled commitment. After which MPs drummed on the table for a long time. Peve Dea leader Achia Kauke wished Ruta good luck on the new heir. The cabinet fell on Friday evening about migration policy. After months of discussion about measures to limit the influx of asylum seekers, the four coalition parties concluded that they would not be able to reach an agreement together, especially Ruta's Beve Day and the smallest government party, Christian Uni, who were diametrically opposed to each other. Why do Christians not want immigrants? That's weird. Jesus loves immigrants. Yet again, another... <laughs> Another uh, religious party not following their own doctrines. But anyways, very, I, I don't know if I'm sad to see Ruta go because I, I'm not, I've only lived here for seven years, so. Uh -huh. But uh, I guess I'll be interested to see a new face on the television because, in my opinion, that's really what drove this. A lot of Dutch people were tired of seeing his face the entire pandemic because there was nothing to do. So they just kept on seeing his face on the television going, we will survive this. And they're like, boo, vote him out. But not because they don't like him. They, they want him to just stop being on their television. They just want to see a new face. That's what the joke, at least here, is. Is that they don't really Silly care about optimist. politics. They just want to see a new guy. Take your optimism and go. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's the end of my story. This was from the NOS, which is the national news service in the Netherlands. Okay. On to your story. All right. More uh, European news. Biden says Russia's war in Ukraine must end before Kiev can join NATO. NATO. President Biden said it's premature. This is from Axios and the written by uh, it's Maxios.com. President Biden said it's premature for Ukraine to bring it, begin its NATO membership process during the war, but he told NATO, Turkey's president. Sunday, he wants Sweden to join the alliance as soon as possible. Driving, driving as Biden told CNN and their national broadcast Sunday ahead of attending this week's NATO summit in Lithuania that Russia's war in Ukraine must end before Kiev can join the alliance. What he's saying, I don't think there's unanimity in NATO about whether or not to bring Ukraine into NATO family now at this moment in the middle of the war. He told CNN's Fareed Zakaria, an interview recorded before he flew to the United Nations Sunday ahead of the trip to Vilnius. Meanwhile, Zelensky said in an interview, the Ukrainian President Zelensky, who didn't identify in this article so just now, <laughs> Meanwhile, Zelensky said in an interview with ABC News that aired Sunday that there's currently no uni uni unity in inviting Ukraine to join NATO. The country should get a clear secure guarantee, security guarantees while it's not in the alliance. Of note, during the CNN interview, Biden defended his decisions to send to Ukraine for the first time cluster munitions, which are banned in over... 120 countries, including the U.S. allies, Germany, France, and the U.K., under the Convention of Clustered Munitions. What we are, the National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby told ABC News Sunday, expects the allies to stay unified in supporting Ukraine in this fight against Russia on their soil at the NATO summit that's due to begin in Vilnius on Tuesday. 
Another key item on NATO's agenda this week will be the matter of Sweden joining the alliance, which stalled after Turkey's official accused Scandinavian nation of harboring Kurdish terrorists. And that is that story, short okay. and sweet. We aren't going to waste a lot of time on it. We just want NATO to be able to be strong enough to keep Russia from just invading everybody. Yes. At this point. Okay, your story. Okay, and culture news, more from the Netherlands. Ricky Cola is the first trans woman to win the Miss Netherlands title. 22-year-old Ricky Cola has been elected Miss Netherlands 2023. She is the first transgendered woman to achieve this title. Cola is not an unknown face in the Dutch modeling world. She also participated in the television program Holland's Next Top Model in 2018. She eventually reached the final. She was the second trans woman to participate in the program. In 2015, Loisa Lammers won the program. The Miss Netherlands jury says that Cola beamed throughout the show and made the most progress of all the misses in the process leading up to it. The candidates for Miss Netherlands have gone through a training program in advance, in which they went to Curaçao, among other things. Oh, wow. A training program in Curaçao? I'll sign up. Let me become Miss Netherlands. <laughs> she has a strong story with a clear mission, the jury said during the finale. The jury is convinced that the organization of Miss Netherlands, ED, will enjoy working with this young woman. In addition to the usual congratulations, transphobic comments can also be read on social media. I would be lying if I said this doesn't affect me at all, Cola said last year about such reactions in an interview with Robert Rodenberg. And also on the website of Miss Netherlands, she writes that she knows, like no other, what it's like to feel alone and not to be surrounded by only positive thoughts. She states that she is now stronger in her shoes and wants to dedicate herself for all of little rickies who are faced with a rejection from their family and their transition to the person they desire to be. Cola may use the title Miss Netherlands for a year and participate in elections of Miss Universe Nail Salvador. She is the second transgender woman to participate in the international pageant. Spanish model Angela Ponce represented her country in the finale in, nine, uh, in, sorry, in 2018. The first trans woman to run in the national pageant was Jenna Tal Talakova in Canada in 2012. She was initially rejected by the national organization, but was eventually allowed to run. She did not make it past the national first. Miss Universe has been organized annually since 1952. So far, only one Dutch person has won the prize, Angela Weiser in 1989. Now, I don't really care about beauty pageants. But uh, I just thought this was an interesting story because I saw people being angry on it on social media and I don't see what the big deal is. Who cares? Right? Yeah. Some it's person like a won a competition that you are never going to get into because you're a man. <laughs> right? Yeah. Specifically, yeah. men are angry at trans women. There are women who are angry at trans women and they also weren't going to apply for the pageant. So, who cares? Yeah. If somebody like on the pageant was angry, I could understand because they're a sore loser. But since you never applied to be in the pageant, no one cares what you think, who you thought should have won. At the end, well, on to well, this day in history. <laughs> aren't they all being inspected like chunks of meat anyway? So what's the best yeah. I can do? Well, actually, Hi, specifically, with, specifically with these kind of pageants, while it is yeah. definitely a beauty contest, yeah. let's be honest, it also, they also look at the inside, right? If you're really yeah. beautiful, but you're like, I like murdering babies, and I... You know, go swamp curling or whatever. People are like, ugh. 
You're not. I don't want you to represent the country. So they also look for people who are pretty and also can represent their country, right? Well, obviously. So, but it's still it's still a meat market. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's still it's still. Eh, let's see how them teeth are. Let's see if you got healthy bones or whatever. You know. Almost like a breeding okay. stock. Yeah. At this day in history. 1553, Lady Jane Grey, the 15-year-old great-granddaughter of Henry VII, became Queen of England, but her reign lasted only nine days, and she was executed by Mary Tudor the following year. Oh, bloody Mary, as we come to know her. She was 16, and she was executed. What kind of savagery? 1584, William I, the uh, first of the hereditary stadtholders of the United Province of of Netherlands was assassinated. Holders. In 1609, the Catholic League was formed by Maximilian Duke of Bavaria and the Catholic powers of Germany. In 1871, French novelist Marcel Proust wrote a long thing in French, I can't pronounce, a seven-volume novel based on his life, was born. <laughs> well, Try to pronounce it. A la research de temps pardon. There you go. There you go. Not French. I do not apologize for not knowing its language. 1875, Mary McLeod Bethune, an African-American educator who was active in the National Black Affairs and Special Advisor to President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, was born in Maysville, South Carolina. That was in 1875. 1925, the Scopes trial began in Dayton, Tennessee, with William Jennings Bryant arguing for the prosecution and Clarence Darrell for the events. That was the that was the trial that involved the teaching of evolution in schools because people wanted creationism. That's the only thing you will ever learn. <laughs> creationism, the magic thing that happened one day. You know, I, I don't know. 1952, the con- the Constitution at Erythia, prepared by the United Nations in consultation with Emperor Haile Selassie of Ethiopia, was adopted. So, there we are, 1952, Haile Selassie. 1962, Swedish engineer Nils Brolin was issued a U.S. patent for a three-point seatbelt for U.S. cars, a major safety innovation. In 1965, British rock band Rolling Stones topped the U.S. charts for the first time with a signal, I can't get no satisfaction. 1973, the Bahamas gained independence from Britain within the Commonwealth. 1985, the Greenpeace ship Rainbow Warriors was sunk by two bomb explosions while birthed in Auckland Harbor, New Zealand. It was later revealed that French intelligence agents had planted the explosives. Wow, wow. That's scumbags. Russian politician Boris Yeltsin was sworn into office as the country's first elect president on, elected president on this day in 1991. In 2015, Egyptian actor Omar Sharif died at the age of 83, famous for roles in Lawrence of Arabia and Dr. Zhivago. 2019, German automaker Volkswagen entered production of the Beetle, the first model which had been introduced in 1938. In the feature events, 1962 Telstar was launched. 1960 Telstar, the first communications satellite to transmit live television signals and telephone conversations across the Atlantic Ocean 
A thing we take for granted in this country, and this world actually, was launched this day in 1962, inaugurating a new age in electronic communications. And featured biography today, John Calvin was born this day in uh, 1509 in Noyon, France. Calvin, John Calvin, he was a French theologian known for, of course, Calvinism, a, very, a form of uh, Protestant religion. 1972 birthdays, Sofia Vergara was born this day in 1972. Arthur Ashe was born this day in 1943. Jake Lamada, American boxer, was born in 1922. We already covered Prost. Solomon Northrup, American farmer and writer, was born on this day in 1807. And what day is it? What day is it? It is National, okay. Clarahue Day. Do you know what a Clarahue is? No. Okay, we're going to find out together. Clicking on Clarahue Day. So take a second. Oh, it's a type of poem. Okay. Okay, type of poetry. On, on July 10th, each year, National Clarahue Day, the United States celebrates poem style created by Edmund Clarahue Bentley. His four-line biographical poem offers a brief the whimsical approach to poetry. Let's, okay, here's an example. Here's the first ever created Clary Hugh at the age of 16. Here, here it goes. Sir Humphrey Davy abominated gravy. He lived in the odium of having discovered sodium. That is uh -huh. what it is. There's your line. Four line couplets, basically, about yourself. There you go. Okay, other days it is today. It is National Pina Colada Day. We know what that is. Little rum, little pineapple, little coconut. What else we put in there? Banana, I think. Uh, and uh, banana, is a banana in that? There's a daiquiri. National Kitten Day is today. National Kitten Day. All right, cute little cuddly kittens that will chew on your finger for an hour and a half. Global Energy Independence Day is July 10th. International Town Criers Day. And so that's all the days there is today, but it's International Town Criers Day. Does, does your town have a crier? No, don't think so. For those uninitiated, the town crier is somebody that stands in the, some public square and just yells the news. You know? The, the, the scores, maybe. The sports scores, you know. The football scores. Anyway, that's it. All right. Well, this has been Allie, who looks at the news daily. And I will <laughs> see you. I will, be, I will have sorrow if I don't see you tomorrow. Oh, and thank wow. you very much for watching before coffee. Coffee. And this, well, that's all I have to say, really. There's my <laughs> terrible she poem. Pulled, she pulled out a Clarahue on Clarahue Day. Now go stand in this town square and yell it to everyone with your kitten. Why you would achieve? Oh, it's also Chronic Disease Day. I left it out. And this is Roger on Chronic Disease Day, chronically leaving things out. On July 10th, 20. 23 edition of Before Coffee.
be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.